0: following program is intended for mature audiences. Wake up!
1: Welcome to Rudy's Revelation, it's Sunday, March 28th, 2021. This week I'll be talking about the ongoing cult-like nature of modern leftism, and how individuals seem to parrot the religious dogma of progressivism, and those that oppose it face the wrath of current Cancel will also be talking back to the Sunday Talking Heads on CBS Face the Nation, where Director of the U.S. National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, Dr. Anthony Fauci, fails to admit that mounting evidence points to coronavirus origin in China at the Wuhan Laboratory. also be checking out Sunday Morning Propaganda at our favorite feel-good feature news program, CBS Sunday Morning, where correspondent Seth Doan rationalizes the fact that a significant percentage of Catholic priests are gay, despite the church's teaching that acting on homosexual desires is a sin, and talks with a Wisconsin priest, one of just 10 openly gay priests in the U.S., We'll also be tearing into the Sunday New York Times, showing how the newspaper continually mischaracterized the facts to mislead the public. Of course, we'll be going over the weekend headlines, all in the next 30 minutes. But first, we'll be taking you back to school, giving you some historical context to frame this week's news narrative. Of the day is cult.
0: Great devotion to a person, idea,
2: object, movement, or work.
1: And also a system for the cure of disease based on dogma set forth by its promulgator. We're going to be talking about cult and cult like behavior from The Federalist Six Ways Leftism Acts Like a Religion in this article by Robbie Starbuck. Leftism has transformed from an obscure cult into a dominant religion in our country. The progressive promised land is here now. Conservative commentators have mocked for years for describing leftism as a new religion of sorts, since 2016 it has become clear that modern left was determined to prove us right. What we have witnessed unfold in this country over the past few years and have seen increased exponentially as the 2020 election comes near, especially with regard to the Black Lives Matter movement, is an expression of religious zealotry so widespread, unforgiving, and violent that it might have made the Puritan governors of 17th century Massachusetts worry they were being outdone. Leftism is not a political ideology anymore, it is a full-fledged religion, Complete with tithing, penance, forced confessions, iconoclasm, internet inquisitions, public rituals, excommunication, heavily policed virtues, sacred texts, seminaries, and online auto de fe. The proof is too plentiful to ignore. Here are the signs of what we're truly confronting. Theocracy of totalitarian religious extremists. Number one, conformity, strictly enforced virtues. Next communication, two inquisition, three sins, four penance, five public ritual, six evangelization, and then it lists the church of leftism dominates. Leftism is transformed from an obscure cult into a dominant religion in our country. The slow pace of conversion enabled many people to ignore what was happening, until they couldn't an, anymore because it was moving too fast to stop it. And that's from The Federalist. And then I want to read a little bit from The Psychology of a Cult Experience. Although the researchers said it is possible for those who have left cults to integrate their experience into their lives in healthy ways, many are unable to. Among the common negative characteristics exhibited by the former cult members studied, are depression, guilt, fear, paranoia, slow speech, rigidity of facial expression and body posture, indifferent to physical appearance, passivity, and memory impairment. Consciously and manipulatively, cult leaders and their trainers exert a systematic social influence that can produce great behavioral changes. Groups have taken techniques from human potential movement from the encounter, sensitivity training, and humanistic psychology movements and combine them with cult ideology and persuasive sales methods and package them in various combinations. Not all cults are destructive, and many who join and remain in cults do so out of the sincere quest for religious connection. Whether or not a cult is destructive is determined by the morality of the cult leader and the nature of the leader's Charismatic dream. Most of the malign cults are frightening to people when their tenets are revealed. Often they set up way-they philosophy. We have truth and you do not. Where does that sound familiar? Valid groups, conversations, achieved in good faith without coercion. And the individual is encouraged to reconcile himself to his history, his family, and his culture even when he may be working for change in his society. And from Town Hall, the cult-like psychology of the progressive movement, the nonstop push by the American left to dismantle the existing American time-honored and time-tested institution is how they will force socialism and central control on the American people, They continue to destroy the bedrock institutions of Western culture, such as religion, schools, family, capitalism, businesses, law and order, and the Constitution, including the First and Second Amendment and the rule of law. When those pushing back surrender at the ballot box, the scales will tip, and the left will achieve their ultimate plan to destroy America. Has anybody noticed the ideology of the progressive movement has significant similarities to the psychology of cults? Both are premised on brainwashing and lies. They both grow by hoodwicking people to distrust their sensibilities, plain and simple. Look at several studies on how cults form, whether centered on religion, politics, or terrorism, and how they recruit their members. The parallels are so similar it's difficult to discern. Absolutely true. Again, from the Federalist, for reasons the left's methods are far more cult-like than Trump's. And then uh, I'm going to go over a little bit uh, the text of the Unabomber Manifesto, Industrial Society and Its Future, The Psychology of Modern Leftism, Feelings of Inferiority, Socialization, The Power Process, Surrogate Activities, Autonomy, Sources of Social Problems on and on and on. You could read this yourself. I suggest you do. If you really want to know about modern leftism, uh, Ted Kaczynski really wasn't, you know, too far off. The grandfather, from the Dialogue Times, the grandfather of modern leftism, more than 300 years when Rousseau first wrote the innately virtuous pastoral natural man, he was adding his continental twist to the Western ideas of individual rights and political philosophies of the day. He was the first to espouse the idea that it was expected. In fact, it was right for these pastoral men, these savages, to claim the general will revolt from time to time and reject aristocratic claim of property rights. In Rousseau's mind, claims of property were the pretext of so-called civil society, and these claims alone were the source of all conflict and inequality. Further, Rousseau argued that mankind was capable of achieving... An innate moral perfectibility, only in the natural state of nature, the trappings of property in a so-called civil society were antithetical to the achievement of this state, corrupted as it was by envy, distrust, covetousness, and greed. And of course I want to delve a little bit into Derrida, uh, Jacques Derrida, Derrida versus the Rationalist. This is from the New Humanist. Derrida's famously difficult thought is often dismissed as postmodern nonsense. Is there more to it than at first appear? I'm not going to go into um, too much into Derrida, but he is the father of postmodernism, which is and encompasses the new left, if you want to get into the philosophy of it. Jacques Derrida was born in 1930 in Algeria, French philosopher, best known for developing a form of semiotic analysis known as deconstructionism. And this is out of critical theory, um, which he analyzed in numerous texts and developed the context of phenomenology. He is one of the major figures associated with post-structuralism and post-modern philosophy. So you should look into Jack Derrida if you want to know the problem with our society and particularly progressivism and the left the modern left. Postmodernism on the left. Postmodernism has never been as unpopular as it is today, especially on the right of the political spectrum. Often conservative critics can be heard to blame the left-wing, postmodern neo-Marxist and cultural Marxism for the emergence of the vitriolic identity politics that eschews a commitment to the truth. Reason and dialogue. Left-wing postmodernists are seen as undermining truth, reason, and dialogue by criticizing these values as ideological myths designed to reinforce white male privilege, Western colonialism, and so on. Like I said, it's critical theory. The specter of left-wing postmodernism is also invoked as one of the forces undermining the confidence in the West and of the West, leading us to submit to dangerous and illiberal groups around the globe. Some even go so far as to claim In allegedly promoting a fundamental collectivist philosophy, qua the Soviet Union, left-wing postmodernists are pro-totalitarians waiting for their opportunity to squash all dissent. The philosophy which guides the utterances of transsexual rights activists in the United States and a Maoist revolutionary in China are one and the same and just as dangerous in principle. And this is from Quillette. Less than 3% of you people read books. So we're going to go into Rudy's Revelation Reading Recommendations. In our first book by Stuart Sim, Derrida and the End of History, Postmodern Encounters from 1995, what does it mean to proclaim the end of history as several thinkers have done in the recent years? Francis Fukuyama the American political theorist created a considerable stir in the end of history in The Last Man in 1992 by claiming that the fall of communism and the triumph of free-market liberalism brought an end of history as we know it. Prominent among his critics has been the French philosopher Jacques Derrida, whose specters of Marx, 1993, deconstructed the concept of the end of history as an ideological Confidence trick in an effort to salvage the unfinished and ongoing project of democracy. Derrida and the End of History places Derrida's rejection of Fukuyama's claim within a wider tradition of endist thought. Derrida's criticism of endism is highlighted as one of the most valuable contributions of postmodern debate. So you should read that book. Our second reading recommendation is Leftism Revisited from Desad and Marx to Hitler and Pol Pot from 1991 from Eric von Kuhlnelt Lendehin. The book argues that leftist approach to government based on materialism, centralization, and politicization is opposed to freedom and true liberalism. Indeed. So I think you should learn a little bit about modern leftism and postmodernism. So we're going to get it right into the headlines. It's from Trending Politics Breaking. Biden administration set to launch COVID passport that would track Americans who haven't taken vaccines. From the Wall Street Journal, new age of Chinese nationalism threatens supply chains. Assumption that China and East Asia offer multinationals a stable security environment must now be revisited. Iran and China signed a 24-year cooperation agreement. China and Iran, both subject to U.S. sanctions, signed a 25-year cooperation agreement on Saturday to strengthen their long-standing economic and political alliance. This is from Reuters. From Politico, be aware the Pentagon's target list for extremist infiltrators, right and left. An internal training module singles out range of groups, ideological, and symbols seen as primary insider threats. Sure, they say they're going to look at both, but you know who's going to be targeted, especially with the Democrats in power. From the Wall Street Journal, can artificial intelligence replace human therapists? Three experts discuss the promise and problems of relying on algorithms for our mental health. Basically, you're going to have artificial intelligence robots mentally adjudicating you, and that is going to be a very slippery slope. From the Daily Mail, Texas COVID numbers fall for the 17th consecutive day following Governor Abbott's 100% reopening of the state and lifting of the mask mandate, a move that Biden infamously called Neanderthal thinking. From mediaite, former CDC director says he believes coronavirus escaped from Wuhan lab this is from the 26th. Former CDC director Robert Redfield says he believes the coronavirus escaped from the Wuhan lab, stunning assessment that echoes claims made by other members of the Trump administration, including Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. From USA today, New York launches nation's first vaccine passports. Others are working on similar ideas but many details must be worked out. Again, uh, Mark of the Beast, starting Friday, New Yorkers will be able to pull up a code on their cell phone or a printout to prove they've been vaccinated against the COVID-19 or recently tested negative for the virus that causes it. The first in the nation certification called Excelsior Pass will be used Large scale venues like Madison Square Garden, but next week will be accepted a dozen of events, arts and entertainment, venues statewide. It already enables people to increase the size of the wedding party or other catered events or buy or sell. The tear to the New York Times, China with four hundred billion. Iran deal could deepen influence in the Mideast. The country signed a sweeping pact on Saturday that calls for heavy Chinese investments in Iran over 25 years in exchange for oil, a step that could ease Iran's international isolation. China agreed to invest 100 billion in Iran over 25 years in exchange for oil. The deal could deepen China's influence in the Middle East and undercut American efforts to keep Iran isolated. Serbia hails Chinese companies as saviors, but locals chafe at the cost. While government is welcoming Chinese investors to save more abundant businesses and bring much-needed capital, many Serbians are complaining of environmental and political impacts. Because the Serbians are well aware of what communism is. This is an article by Andrew Higgins from the 27th. Suicide and self-harm bereaved families count the costs of lockdowns. The psychology toll on young people of months in isolation and great global suffering is becoming more clear after successive lockdowns. Indeed. There's an article by Elian Peltier and Isabella Quay. Lockdowns of Britain dragged on and no job emerged. Young men grew cynical and self-conscious, and basically this story outlines uh, how young people uh, commit suicide because of the lockdowns. An immigrant family caught up in a distinctly American tragedy. The suspect of the mass shooting at a Colorado supermarket came from an immigrant family that had achieved many of the outward signs of success, but their life in America had not been untroubled. So this goes into this guy's uh, life history. um, Ahmed Alyssa, Ahmad Alyssa was charged with gunning down 10 people at a supermarket, killing 10 people. See, this is another thing that's mysterious about the shooting is he shot 10 people and killed them. It's very similar to what we saw in um, Sandy Hook. Uh, you know, it's hard to kill 10 people and just not wound them. So he shot and killed 10 people. And if you saw some of the video, you could see that they he shot and he killed them, and he bought the gun six days before. How did he train? And uh, You know, because people, you start shooting, people run away. It's hard to kill people psychologically. Nearly a week after the shooting, investigators say they're still searching to understand Mr. Alyssa, Mr. Alyssa's motives and do not know why he chose a supermarket 15 miles from his home. So we always leave you... So we always leave you uh, in the New York Times Sunday Review, which is the op-ed section. And there are a bunch of different uh, op-eds here. Um, Stop it with the gun control. Enough already is what we're going to concentrate on. But I also wanted to mention here, so you want to save women's sports is one of, and so basically what they do is they're trying to explain, so you want to save women's sports And they go into all the things you could do to help women's sports um, because they've been underserved compared to men's sports. Um, But they ended by saying, but there's no reason to make it transphobic. And the whole point was to keep biological men out of women's sports because they obviously rise to the the top because biological men are stronger, faster, faster. And that's why they separated men, and, men's and women's sports and, to begin with. But stop it with the gun control. Enough already. Language matters. This language doesn't help. This is a piece by Frank Bruni. Um, the world. He starts off the words tumbled readily from Josh Hawley's lips as he argued to, for doing little in the wake of Atlanta and Boulder massacres. That's reason enough not to let them tumble from the rest of hours. And basically he talks about the term gun control and he goes off about gun control and how the media says gun control. And he says there should be better euphemisms for uh, curbing second amendment rights than gun control. And he says, remember death panels, that was a chillingly worded and wildly inaccurate specter with Sarah Palin and many other Republicans whipped up alarm or affordable care act. When they talked about death panels, they talk about, um, Socialized medicine and how it uh, turns out to be rationed care. And when you ration care, well, somebody's going to die. As Bill uh, Gates famously put it, "You want to hire ten teachers or give Grandma that other, you know, that extra month of life." And then he talks about other euphemisms like illegal aliens or illegals, cast them as dehumanizing, and then you're calling them undocumented. Uh, so he wants another euphemism uh, for gun control or gun safety. And, and and to me, it's just, it's it's more of the same. You can't blame firearms for people going out and carrying these, uh, carrying out these heinous, uh, heinous attacks. And then the other one uh, was from Ross Dudat. How does a baby bust end? Three scenarios for a more fertile America. Um, He doesn't address um, environmental toxins, um, endocrine disruptors, most of the things that have to do with uh, infertility. Um, And he goes through a bunch of different hypotheses, but he doesn't go into anything... um, he talks about all cultural scenarios and not really anything about a chemical environment that reduces fertility. Okay, we're going to leave you, Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, who, of course, resists the notion that the Chinese, you know, the outbreak of the pandemic didn't start in China. <laughs>
2: What about you? you going back to a baseball park to throw out an opening pitch again this year? <laughs> your, your own pitching arm um, from, from last year, but <laughs> I'm just teasing you there.
0: <laughs>
2: On the report that's forthcoming from the World Health Organization, it, it's supposed to be about the origins of COVID. And the Biden administration has been clear that they are concerned that Beijing helped write it. Um, I want to play for you a soundbite from a scientist named Dr. Jamie Metzl, who spoke to 60 Minutes and said the WHO did not even ask for key samples of the virus.
0: It was agreed first that China would have veto power over, over who even got to be on the mission. Secondly, And
2: WHO agreed to that.
0: WHO agreed to that. On top of that, the WHO agreed that in most instances, China would do the primary investigation and then just share its findings with these international experts. So these international experts weren't allowed to do their own primary investigation. Wait,
2: you're saying that China did the investigation and showed the results to the committee, and that was it? Pretty much that was
0: it. Not entirely, but pretty much that was it. Imagine if we had asked the Soviet Union to do a co-investigation of Chernobyl. It doesn't really make sense.
2: Do you expect this World Health Organization report to be a whitewash?
3: You know, I don't know, Margaret. What I would like to do is first see the report. I think that's really important. You're getting a lot of conjecture around about what they did and what they were allowed to do or not. No one has been speaking specifically about that. When the report comes out, I'd like to take a really close look at that. And if, in fact, obviously there was a lot of restrictions on the ability of the people who went there to really take a look, then I'm going to have some considerable concern about that. But let me take a look at the report first.
2: What is your opinion on how COVID became so well adapted to humans?
3: You know, Margaret, that's an argument that goes back and forth. uh, uh, A very uh, plausible explanation for this is that this virus jumped from an animal host, a bat, (laughs) to maybe an intermediate host. And then to a human. And we didn't see it, we being at first the Chinese.
2: We being
3: at first the Chinese. (laughs) And it was under the radar screen. And we know that infections, many of them, are without symptoms. So it's entirely conceivable that it was spreading considerably for weeks, if not months, before we recognized it at the end of December, giving it plenty of time to adapt to a human. And that would really be completely cons- uh, consistent with just jumping species in the wild. The other theory that people have is that somehow it did that in a lab and it accidentally escaped. I mean, those are just varying opinions. <laughs> I think the most likely one, that mm-hmm. in nature, in the wild, it adapted itself.
2: <laughs> All right, and and as... You're acknowledging there, no evidence. we're still looking at it. We'll continue to following it.
0: <laughs>
1: and then we're going to leave you with Sunday morning's correspondent Seth Doan, who rationalized the, the abundance of gay priests in um, the Catholic Church) <laughs>
0: You signed up to work for an institution that thinks being gay, acting out on that is a sin. Correct. Being gay, acting out on that is a sin. Correct. You're one of very few openly gay priests. Yeah. I am a gay priest and a
3: celibate priest.
0: A church that teaches that acting on homosexual feelings is a sin. Did you feel like a hypocrite when you were up here at the pulpit? It's like wearing a mask every day I have to go up there and pretend I'm something that I'm not bless you he pledged as all priests do to live a celibate life For him this was not about sexual activity but identity not cool to be gay if you're a priest did you remain celibate as a priest Uh,
3: no I did not I experimented I struggled There were liaisons, there were relationships.
0: Love and sexual intimacy with another man? Yes. With other priests? Once or twice. He said his seminary, where he trained to be a priest, was a warehouse of young men struggling with their sexuality, while Pope Francis famously responded... Who am I to judge when asked about gay priests during a papal press conference. He's also said that anyone with deep-seated homosexual tendencies shouldn't be a priest. Their place is not in ministry or in consecrated life, he said. A vast silent majority. Frédéric Martel is a French author who spent four years researching his book in the closet of the Vatican about the gay underworld there. He says he interviewed hundreds of priests, even cardinals. It's 50 shades of gay. I mean a lot of different kind of gay. He suggests the largest group of men in the Vatican may be gay but do not practice and can actually be the most homophobic. And interviews discovered a real range of sexual identities. How many priests do you think you have slept with? I think about 100. Francesco Mangiacapra is a sex worker with a law degree who found one priest client led to another and another. What's this? It's my dossier about gay priests in Italy. The priests we spoke with, as well as the Vatican itself, see no connection between homosexuality and the clerical sexual abuse crisis. A five-year study by New York's John Jay College commissioned by bishops found the data do not support a finding that homosexual identity is a risk factor for the sexual abuse of minors. You signed up to work for an institution that thinks being gay, acting out on that is a sin? Correct. In a church community where they're expected to be role models.
2: Being
1: gay, acting out on that is a sin. That's it for me, Rudy's Revelation. Check us out Sunday. Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Rudy's Revelation. See you next week.